good bank holiday Easter weekend last weekend, despite the awful weather. Um, I've, I've got a question, actually, about um, Easter and about chocolate eggs particularly. I've been, I love chocolate. I absolutely love chocolate. And, and in the lead-up to like, Easter, like, for like two months, the shelves are, are full of, of Easter eggs. And in the last kind of few days leading up to Easter, there's, there's not enough space on the shelves. So you go to the supermarkets, right? And there's just like piles of Easter eggs. On the, they're just like dumping them on the floor. There's just masses of them. You go in for milk, you feel like you've got to buy five Easter eggs. And, and, but then something happens. You kind of have Easter, you go to the shops on Monday, they're all gone. It's just like vanished. I, I want to know, if you know where they go, can you come and... <laughs> Can you please come and chat to me afterwards? Because I would like to hang out there. I think it would be a really nice place. Um, but we're kind of quick to move on. I went to Tesco's yesterday, and where all the Easter eggs are is now, it's now barbecues. It's like all barbecue sets. It's like we're moving on, Easter's finished, and it's like the summer. In fact, I had a barbecue last week in the rain. Um, true story. Um, but for all its build-up, it is over quickly. But the, the events that we remember at Easter that culminate in Jesus' resurrection is not kind of the end of the story. In many ways, it's just the beginning. And so this morning, rather than just like moving on, I want to just spend um, the next 30 minutes just looking at, at what happens next. You see, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples on a few, a few other occasions and this morning, I just want to look at one of those interactions that Jesus has after his resurrection with, with his disciples, specifically with a, with a guy called Peter. And this is not just a kind of like post-main event, like winding down story. You know, the mystery's been solved, but we've still got like 10 minutes left to go of the film before the credits roll up. So we're just going to tie a few loose ends together. That's not what's happening here. What happens post-resurrection in the narrative that we're going to look at today is a concrete example of what Jesus made possible, not just for a man named Peter, but for all of humanity, actually, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just kind of give you a little bit of uh, background, because it's important to what we're going to look at today. Uh, before Peter um, was a follower of Jesus, when we first meet him, he's, he's called Simon, actually. He was a fisherman by trade, and he, was, he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and we're told that he kind of left his nets by the shore there with his brother Andrew, and Jesus said to him, I want you to, to leave your career, I want you to leave what you do as a fisherman, and I want you to come and follow me. And we're told that Andrew and his brother Simon, they, they just leave everything and off they go to follow Jesus. And for the next three years, everywhere Jesus goes, Simon goes with him. He becomes one of these 12 individuals that have this incredible privilege to not only witness Jesus' public life, but he gets to witness his private life as well. And as you kind of read through the gospel accounts and you kind of get to know some of the disciples and some of their characteristics, it's kind of pretty clear that, that P Peter, Simon as he's called at the time, is a pretty passionate guy. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve quite a lot. There's this one occasion when Jesus is sitting around with all of his disciples, um, and he says to them, he says, who, who do you say I am? And all of them are silent, apart from Peter, who kind of quick as flash, like pipes up, and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 
And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed these things to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says to him, and I tell you, your name is Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. It's, it's an amazing moment that Jesus gives Simon a new name. He's going to be called Peter, which means the rock. He intends to use Peter to establish his church. A church that Jesus goes on to say in a, in a few chapters' time in, in the Gospels that will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's what's going to happen. And it's like Peter is the star player. He's the one that God's going to build his church on. I mean, Peter must have been sitting there thinking, wow, you know, who would have thought it? I was a fisherman. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to be like the, the guy. That's gonna, he's going to build his church on it. It's amazing. And maybe it's because of what Jesus said about Peter's future that a little while later when they're, again, all sitting around having a, a meal together, the Last Supper, just before Jesus is taken away and arrested. Jesus says to his bunch of followers, he says, you know, someone in the room's going to betray me. And Peter says, in front of all the disciples, he replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You know? He's so confident. And Jesus turns to him and he says, he says, Peter, I tell you, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, and Peter, you can tell, he's kind of shocked by this because he's the rock, right? He's the star player in this new movement. Jesus has told him what his future is going to be. And so he says, he, he says, even if I have to die, he says, I'll never disown you. He's a passionate guy. And when Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, just you know, before Jesus is arrested, and the soldiers come to arrest him, we're told it's Peter. He pulls out a little sword, and he kind of like cuts one of the soldiers' ears off. You know? and, and, and Jesus has to pick up the ear and kind of miraculously kind of stick it on with a bit of PVA glue. No, doesn't, Jesus doesn't need PVA glue. Fixes the guy's ear, and he says, pack it, you know, pack it in, Peter. And he lets himself be arrested and, and taken away. And we're told that Peter follows at a distance. And it's in this context, while Peter is kind of there watching in a courtyard as Jesus is being taken away and is being mocked and, and, and beaten, that, that someone comes up to him and says to him, Hey, aren't you with that guy? After all that Jesus has promised, after all that Peter has promised, how's he going to respond? Is this the moment that he says, yes, I am. And I'm happy to go and stand next to him. I'm happy to you know, die with him if I have to. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I, I don't know the guy. I don't, I don't know him. But they push him and they ask him a second time. They say, no, sure, you're, you're one of his followers. And, and again, second time around, Peter says, no, I, I, don't, I don't know the man. But they push him still and they say a third time, yeah, you're, you're, you're from Galilee. You're one of his followers. You've got the same accent. You sound like him, in other words. And he says, no, I, I don't know him. And to prove that he's not one of Jesus' followers, he kind of starts cursing. He starts swearing. 
And Luke's gospel tells us that just as he did that the third time, the cock starts crying. But it's not just the cock that starts crying. We're told that Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. And the gospel writers say that Peter went out of the courtyard and he wept bitterly. You sense from his weeping that there's a lot of shame in Peter. He he made some bold statements. Even if I have to die with you, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of stay with you. Even if everyone else disowns you, I won't do it. But he wasn't able to live up to his promises. He's failed Jesus. And he knows it. He wanted so much to be the kind of rock, but he's blown it. And so he weeps bitterly. Now that's the last we hear of Peter before the death of Jesus. And that's the backdrop to the passage that I want to look at today. A passage that you can read in in John's Gospel, chapter 21. It takes place sometime after uh, the events that we remembered um, over the Easter weekend. And if you've got a Bible, you can look at it, but the words will come up on the screen as well. I'm just going to talk through this, this passage. And John starts, and he says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's, that's the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, same place. And he revealed himself in this way. The after this that John says is the death, burial, and, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, there's, there's excitement because Jesus has started revealing himself to people. He started meeting people and seeing people. And when Mary goes to the tomb and she discovers that the stone has been rolled away, we hear that an angel appears to her and, and, and says to her, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. I've always thought that's a, a strange statement. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Well, Peter was one of the disciples. He's been following Jesus around for for three years. So so why didn't God just send a messenger to say, go tell the disciples? Why did he feel the need to say the disciples and Peter? Well, think about the last time we heard about Peter. He's run away and he's weeping bitterly because he's failed to live up to what he promised Jesus. Uh, And my guess is that that God knows unless Peter is specifically invited, it's unlikely that he'll show up. Peter's messed up. He's feeling full of shame. I doubt he thinks of himself as a follower of Jesus anymore, which is why the angel says the disciples and Peter to ensure that he gets the message. You know, last week Kieran spoke about um, the fact that God knows your name. God knows your name. It's an amazing message. And what we get here is a great example of just that. God knows Peter's name. He calls him specifically. It may seem like a little small little detail and a small thing for God to send a message to say, and Peter, but what you get is a a glimpse of the depth in which God knows his name and also has a concern for him. He wants to make sure that Peter knows that the invite to be in Galilee is open to him. 
And in effect, he's saying, I'm coming for you, Peter. I want Peter to know I'm coming for you. And because the angel says, and Peter, Peter shows up. And the disciples and Peter arrive at um, the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place where Peter was when he first met Jesus three years ago. That's not a strange coincidence, by the way. Jesus is deliberately bringing them back to the place where it all began for him. And as they're waiting around for Jesus, we we read in in verse 3, John chapter 21, that Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And there's divided opinion about what he means by going fishing. Some commentators say, you know, they're waiting around for Jesus. Peter's a bit hungry, and so he decides he's going to go out and entertain himself a bit and, and do a spell of fishing. But we read later on, in the story that they fish all night. I don't think you fish all night for fun. At least, I don't think you do. Other people say, we need to understand who's speaking. This is Peter, who was once a career fisherman until Jesus showed up and and asked him to drop the nets and said, I've got a new role for you. I want you to come and follow me. So he gave it all up. But he's betrayed Jesus. And so he gets to the place where he's told to meet Jesus and he, he says, you know what? I'm going fishing. Many people think this is Peter saying, I'm, I'm just going to go back and, and do what I used to do. I'm just going fishing. I'm going to go and do something I know I'm, I'm good at. And, and sometimes I think when we feel a sense of shame and failure, rather than kind of dealing with it, we can suppress it. And and we might not sit around and kind of wallow in self-pity, but what we do is we we get busy. We go to work. We go and do something that we know we're good at. And I think this is likely what Peter is doing. He's going back to what he used to do. I'm I'm going fishing. I'm going to go what I used to do. And so off he goes. And because he's a leader, actually, all the other disciples say to him, we'll go with you. And so they all get in. So they all go out in their boat, and I love what the passage says next in in John chapter 21, verse uh, 3. It says, um, but that night they caught nothing. What's happening? They just kind of have an unfortunate night of, 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 of fishing? No. God's at work. He's not going to let Peter go back to being a fisherman. That's not how God works. If he's called Peter to come follow him, he's not going to just let him go that easily. Jesus often refers to himself as the good shepherd that knows his sheep. He he talked about a shepherd that loses a sheep, goes and finds one and and brings it back. He, He uses that sort of language a lot. There's one time that Jesus says, I I know my sheep, and no one is going to snatch them from my hands, Jesus says. This is what's happening here. He's going after Peter. And sometimes if we've messed up and we feel a sense of shame, we can think the easiest thing to do is just kind of walk away. But that's not how this thing works. We're told that God is jealous for his people. He has called him. He doesn't just let you go that easily. He comes to you. And so in verse 4, John's account continues. 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? A more accurate translation of that phrase actually is, children, you don't have any fish, do you? It's actually posed more as a question. Because Jesus knows they don't. He's not asking them, do you have some? He knows they don't have any. Because he's not let them get any. And I love their response, he says, they say in verse 5, no. No. And so he says to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And you might think, no, I've heard this story before. I know this story. You know, they cast their net over the side of one boat, you know, no fish. They cast their net over the other side, lots of fish. You know, maybe you remember reading it here, but you also might remember reading it in Luke chapter 5, because this isn't, this isn't the first time Jesus has done this miracle. He's done it here, but he also does it at the beginning of his ministry when he first meets Peter on the Sea of Galilee. The first day, that's his first encounter with Peter when he tells Peter, I want you to come follow me. And in that story in, in Luke 5, Jesus meets Peter for the first time and, and Peter's been fishing and he's caught nothing and he says to him, you know, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And, and I love Peter's response. He, he doesn't actually, at the beginning of when he first meets Jesus, he doesn't say, you're a carpenter, right? You think this is how this works? You just kind of put your nets on the other side of the boat? He doesn't say that. He says, uh, he says, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And when they get back to the shore... We read in Luke's counter, Peter's first encounter with Jesus. They get back to the shore and we read that, that, that Peter falls on his knees. And he basically says to Jesus, get away from me. Because I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, come on. He says, do not be afraid. For now you will catch, be catching men. In other words, he's saying to Peter, come on. Come follow me. I've got a new life for you now. I've got a new job for you now. I want you to come and follow me. And here in chapter 21, after the moment of Peter's greatest failure, Jesus recreates the first miracle he used to call Peter to come and walk with him. And how does God respond to Peter after his failure? He brings him back to the very first place where he was called on the edge of the Sea of Galilee and he recreates the, mess, the, the miracle to send a message to Peter that the relationship's still open. He's not too far gone. And neither are you, by the way, if you're sitting there wondering. If you're here and you're feeling full of shame because of things you've done, you feel like you've kind of failed God and you don't think there's a way back for you, 
this story speaks directly into that and says there is a way back. Jesus intends to pursue you because he doesn't give up on you that easily. That's what's happening to Peter here. Do you notice how Jesus speaks to Peter, you know, when they're out in the boat? He doesn't say to them, hey, you, out of the boat, get over here. You failed me. Come on. I want a word with you. He doesn't speak to him like that. He calls them children. He speaks kindly to them. He's gentle, even, even playful, actually. That's how he speaks. He doesn't shout of them. He speaks to them nicely. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to think that, you know, when we failed or when we're feeling a sense of shame, that is that God shouts at us, hey, you, I want a word with you. It's not how God deals with us. He's never has a temper towards us when we've messed up. He always speaks kindly, gently. And verse 7 says, And then the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord! He doesn't, it's interesting, he doesn't say it to Thomas, he doesn't say it to Nathaniel, he doesn't say it to the other disciples in the boat. He says it to Peter. It's almost as if he's saying, Peter, he's coming for you. I like Peter's response. He says, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, John writes, he wrapped his outer garments around him because he'd taken them off and he threw himself in the sea. I love that. This is the first moment where Peter stops walking away from Jesus and begins to start going back to him. It's not well thought through. You know, he puts his clothes on and then gets in the water. I mean, you know, who does that? I'm just going for a swim, so I'm just going to, you know, get myself all ready. It's not pretty. It's not a dive. It doesn't peel yet. It's a bit messy, actually. He throws himself in. It's messy. Because he's in a mess. But it is deliberate. He's moving forward towards Jesus. And that's all that matters. And you might be thinking, you know, I feel like a failure. I feel like full of shame. Maybe you feel like that. And you, I don't know how to move towards God. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be a dive. It doesn't need to be all thought through and pretty. It can be a mess. Just needs to be a throw. And it counts. The next verse I find funny. It says, the, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the nets full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. And you kind of get this image of, of Peter kind of thrashing around in the water, try, trying to get to the, and, and they're just like rowing a little bit because they're close. You all right? <laughs> just, just let him do it. You know, just, just needs to do it. 
And so they get there, and, and John says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Remember that, charcoal fire. The fish were laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And then in verse 12, he says to them, come and have breakfast. How does Jesus treat a bunch of people that have disowned him and failed him? Does he shout at them? Does he condemn them? No, he he cooks them breakfast. That's not something you do with people that you're in a grump with. You only really cook breakfast for people you like. It's another indication of Jesus saying, you know, the relationship's still open. And so they sit down to breakfast by a charcoal fire. You know, there's only two places in the New Testament that a charcoal fire is mentioned. This is one of them. The only other place that a charcoal fire is mentioned is on the night that Peter is standing, warming his hands by one, the night he denies Jesus three times, the night of his greatest failure. That's the only other time it's mentioned. Jesus recreates the miracle that he performed when he first met Peter to let him know no, I've come for you. The relationship's still open. I want you to follow me. But then at the same time, he recreates the moment on Peter's greatest failure. And he says, in effect, but before we can move on, we need to deal with this. We need to deal with this, Peter. As painful as it is to talk about, unless we deal with it, Unless, you know, I remove your shame and your failure, you're not going to be able to follow me properly. And so we need to talk about this. And it says in John 21, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think Peter would have sat up a little bit there. Simon, son of John, it's like, you know, Timothy Mark, good enough. You know, he's not called him Simon for a while. He's been calling him Peter, but he goes back to calling him Simon. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's Jesus pointing to? What what are the these? You know, it's either one of two things. You know, some people say, you know, it's probably the disciples. You know, he's he's pointing to the disciples. He's saying, do you love me more than these? He's reminding Peter of the time when he stood up and he says, even if everyone else falls away, I won't. Jesus is reminding him of that moment. He's saying, do you love me more than these? That's one possibility. The other possibility some people think is he's pointing to the fish. And he's saying, Simon, do you love me more than these? The fish? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than your old life? Am I I second best? Or or actual fact, am am I first best? Which, Which is it, the fish or me? Either way, Peter responds. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What's going on here? Is Jesus being mean? 
Is that, is that what's happening? Is he just kind of publicly rubbing Peter's face in what he did? Because at first reading, that, that can be what it sounds like. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, uh, you know I love you. Well, it didn't seem like it a few days ago, so let's just try it again. Do you love me? That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't actually mention specifically what Peter had done. If you want to shame someone because of their failure, you you look backwards. You look backwards and you point to it and you say, look what you did. But that's not what Jesus does here. All the time, Jesus is not looking backwards. He's looking forward. Sitting by the charcoal fire, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. So let's move on. Feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. So let's move on. Tend my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. So let's move on. Feed my sheep. I've got a job for you, Peter. I've, I've got a future for you. I, I want, so let's move on. Let's move on. This is hurting Peter to talk about. You can tell that because by the third time of asking, Peter's beginning to get a little bit upset. But Jesus is insistent on dealing with Peter's shame and failure. But rather than doing it to hurt him, he's doing it because he's trying to actually save Peter's life. If Jesus had not dealt with Peter, what Peter had done, then every time he would have heard a cock crow, it would have been like a reminder to Peter that he was a failure, he's a loser, he's, he's messed up. And, and so what Jesus is trying to do is heal Peter. He's dealing with Peter's denials in order that he can know peace and move on. He doesn't want Peter's failures to dominate his future and dictate kind of what he does with his life. And the same is true with us. <clears throat> Until we deal with our sin and shame We can't move on properly and follow Jesus. For all of us, there will be times when we need to allow Jesus to kind of sit us down by so-called charcoal fires where we've failed him and allow him to deal with our shame that we feel. And that might be a private moment between us and Jesus. It might be a more public moment with us and a few close friends. But God wants to help us to deal with our shame so that our failures won't determine our future life with him. It's necessary if we're going to move on and walk into freedom, into a future of following him and being used by him to establish his church. It's what Peter remembered to be true after the day of Pentecost. He kind of stands and he, he addresses a whole crowd of people and he tells them all about you know, Jesus and who he was. And the whole crowd listening, they, they say to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And it's like Peter remembers. And he says, repent. Repent. In other words, let Jesus deal with your failures. Let him deal with your shame. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. After Jesus has dealt with Peter's shame, he finally says to him in verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, 
You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Follow me. What Peter discovered is that no matter how bad the failures or how deep the shame, Jesus forgives him. Not just for his personal benefit, but so that he can be used again to to build the church. Because failure is is never final. One quote I read this week that I like, it says this. You ask me what forgiveness is. It's the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. It's being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. It's been quite a roller coaster for Peter over the last few days, from weeping bitterly and feeling a sense of shame to hearing of an invitation to kind of meet Jesus back where it all began, seeing Jesus pursue him and heal him and restore him and call him again to come and follow him. That's what Jesus came to do on the cross. All of this is only made possible because of Easter. On the cross, Jesus deals with our shame. He forgives us for our failures and he makes a way for the relationship with God to be open again. What Peter experienced was only possible because of Easter. Now, everything we read in this story of Jesus for Peter, dealing with his shame, welcoming him back into a relationship and giving him a role to play is, is the same for us as well. It's how he deals with us. This example of of Peter's life, of what happened after the cross, in the way that Jesus pursues him, goes after him, reminds him who he is, reminds him what his name is, welcomes him back in and says, come on, let's move on, is exactly what Jesus wants to do for each one of us.